Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the Gospel according to Luke. We are in chapter 21 and reading verses 25 through 36. And again, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there and follow along as I read today. Jesus is speaking, and this is just simply a portion of his answer to a question that the disciples have raised uh, concerning Jerusalem and uh, what Jesus has forecast in terms of the end. And he says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. Every year on this particular Sunday, we are reminded that this is a new year, liturgically speaking. And that is for believers who are in the habit of regular worship with the saints gathered, we begin anew our reflection on what God has accomplished across redemptive history on our behalf. Contrary to what some assume, the new year does not begin with Christmas, but rather it begins with Advent, a period of waiting Like the Old Testament saints who were promised a Messiah, the Messiah did not immediately appear, but they waited for hundreds of years for God's promise to be revealed. And as New Testament saints, we have a sense of what they experienced as we too wait for the return of the King. But unlike them, we know more of the story of how God has chosen to redeem the world. Unlike them, we know more of what to expect because Jesus has revealed more of the future expectation in passages of Scripture like the one before us today. Now, I realize that there is a desire to skip the waiting, rush to celebrate the joy 
of Christmas, but there is much to be gained in the waiting, particularly in our spiritual development and discipleship. If not, then our Lord would have returned long before now, but as he says in this chapter earlier, his return will not occur until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, fortunately for us Gentiles, that tells us that God has a grand plan that is unfolding, and we would be wise to recognize that the waiting is all good. So before ever we get to Christmas and begin to talk about the first advent of the Son of God, let us wait and ponder his second advent, gaining a picture of the victory that awaits all those who have placed their trust completely in the King of Kings. Before we rush to the manger in Bethlehem to behold the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, Surrounded by adoring shepherds and disinterested farm animals, it is critical that we wait and gain some insight into this one who is coming still, lest we be tempted to imagine him to be something that he is not. The best way to ward off such temptation is to ponder the description that Jesus himself offers to us of what he will be like when he returns at the close of the age. Now, in the earlier verses of this 21st chapter of Luke's Gospel, Jesus foretells the destruction that will befall Jerusalem. And he warns his disciples of the trouble that will come upon that city and the persecution that will overtake those within her walls. There will be great distress, he says, in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus foretells the judgment that will fall upon the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for their rejection of the Savior whom God sent to save them. And in A.D. 70, those words became abundantly clear when the forces of Rome came against the citizens of Jerusalem and the nation was scattered to the four winds. But then Jesus looks forward to his second coming, an event that will be preceded by even more cataclysmic times throughout the world. And in true apocalyptic language, Jesus describes great troubles that will be felt by one and all, a kind of cataclysmic upheaval that will trouble all of the nations, but which will also bear witness to the approaching end. And so chilling and chaotic will these days be, Jesus says that men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Now it is little wonder that Jesus' disciples had a yearning to know when all of this would transpire. For events such as these would require preparation. When troubles on the horizon, you do not sit idly by, you are moved to action. And so they asked him, when will these events take place? Now other disciples have matched their interest in the ensuing 2,000 years. People today still wonder about when. Some attempt to predict it. Others Simply dismiss it out of hand as fable. 
most recognize that the day will come, but they simply ignore it as though it's not pertinent for their lifetime. Still others realize the importance of living every day as though today could be the day. And as frightening as this verbally painted picture is, it is not Jesus' intent to traumatize his listeners with fear. In fact, Jesus shares these words with his followers as a means of strengthening their faith by telling them the ending of the story. He hopes to raise their anticipation and their sense of confidence in the promises of God by giving them a sneak preview into how the story ends. He hopes to lift their spirits as they encounter the hardships that lead up to the final scene. Anyone who has ever recorded a television broadcast of their favorite sports team has found it easier to watch the contest later if they know the final winning score. So that all the miscues and all the failures, all of the missed opportunities and strategic errors that occur during the game become easier to digest when you know that at the end your team wins. Well, in the same way, Jesus tells his disciples about all the troubles that will one day fall upon them and the entire world. Not so they will worry, not so they will fret, but to let them know that these things are all known by God and are well within his control. The disciples are not to worry. Instead, they are to remain vigilant. They are not to get caught up in the anxieties of life and to resort to fleeting comfort that comes from a bottle, but they are to carefully watch. And when these events begin to occur, they are to even be more watchful. In fact, they are to straighten up lift up their heads because their redemption is drawing near. And what they will see one day then is the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now Jesus does not share this information with the twelve, so they will spend most of their waking hours trying to figure out when the king will return. He does not share it with them so that they can debate it endlessly, creating sharp divisions within the body of Christ. This whole discourse is offered so they will keep their eyes transfixed upon the king who at the end of the story will come again and completely redeem those whom God has chosen. These words are offered so we will recognize the importance of being spiritually prepared for that day. Now there can be little debate, I think, that we live in very troubling times. The past two years particularly have been preoccupied with a worldwide pandemic that has caused many to crumble under the weight of fear and anxiety. And that sense of dread has just gotten a booster shot with the announcement in the past 10 days or so of a COVID-19 variant that has been dubbed Omicron. And so politicians are once again ramping up their executive orders and their regal announcements, which have little positive effect. Uh, Media sources are again hyping the danger to apocalyptic heights to gain viewers and readers, which only increases people's fear and anxiety. Businesses are 
caught between political edicts and shareholders' interests and administrators of all kinds find themselves in a catch-22 as they attempt to find balance between organizational goals and the safety of volunteers and employees and customers. But if a worldwide pandemic was not enough to worry about, we also have Russia gathering on the border of Ukraine threatening to invade. We have China making no secret of their desire to rule the world, starting perhaps with Taiwan. We have renewed energy in Afghanistan as formerly imprisoned terrorists have risen to positions of influence and power seeking their form of revenge and justice. At home, crime of all kinds is on the rise. Drug and human traffickers are busy crossing our open borders. Violent crime is on the rise in most major cities. Brazen robberies are taking place in broad daylight while cyber criminals steal from you throughout the night. And then to top it all off, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are getting divorced. (laughs) Whatever is a person to do. Well, what does the king of all kings say? What does the one who declares that his words will remain even after heaven and earth have passed away? What does he say a person should do? He says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, do not allow all this news to trouble you. If war breaks out somewhere in the world, do not panic. Straighten up. Raise your head. If the economy takes a nosedive and you end up losing your job, do not despair. Straighten up and raise your head. If a loved one is suddenly taken from you and you feel as though the world has been turned upside down and inside out, take heart. Redemption is coming. If the security of your home has been violated and you wonder what happened to the security you once felt, do not lose hope. Look for Jesus because our security is not found in material things or in human relationships. Our salvation comes from the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is seated on the throne in heaven. One of the benefits of times of severe tribulation is that it exposes the limitations of so many things in which we trust. People speak of the almighty dollar, but it turns out it's not that almighty when inflation and recession hit. And people may rely upon the strength of a spouse until the spouse is no longer there, and it causes folks to realize that their trust was misplaced. People may rely upon their own abilities and gifts and talents until they receive the dreadful diagnosis from their physician and they realize they are mortal and are not superhuman. There are those who rely upon spirituality. But severe tribulation will expose the weakness of that as well if it is not centered on the God of the Bible. For neither idols nor vain philosophies nor counterfeit images of Jesus will do well when the heavens are being shaken. When tribulation comes, let us recognize it for what it is. 
a God-ordained event designed to test that upon which we rely. And if our trust is in the sovereign Lord of life alone, then tribulation will not cause us to fear, for we will know that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So a good question to ponder while we are waiting for Christ to appear is to what or to whom do we cling in moments of crisis? And if our answer to that question is anything other than Christ, we would do well to shed that dependency and look to Christ alone. Jesus' advice to the twelve was that they be ever on their guard and that they watch and pray. Now that's a form of preparation that may not appeal to many. Prayer seems to be so sedentary and passive. I'm really not doing anything, we believe. But you see, prayer involves turning our attention away from the things that so easily entertain us, that so easily captivate us, that so easily beset us. And it involves focusing our attention upon Almighty God. To pray means that I will begin a course of surrender to the will of the One who made me. To pray means that I will not only lay my soul bare before the Lord, but that I will also spend time listening to His Word to me. Not so I can ignore it, but so that I might obey it. And this is how Jesus says that we should prepare for His coming in these days. We should pray. Jesus understands that through prayer we will begin to spiritually change. Not because of anything we do, but because one cannot help but be transformed the more we spend time in conversation with Almighty God who made us. When we lay our misguided notions and our wrong-headed ideas before the King, and then we open our spirits to His word of reply, His convicting truth will pierce our souls. And when we expose all our fears and our worries and our cares and our anxieties to His flaming, triumphant gaze, they will shrivel under the stare and we conclude that with Christ as our champion, there is nothing to fear. And when we bring our weakened, sinful state into His presence, He speaks words of forgiveness and encouragement to us and then sends us out into the battle once again, equipped with the power of His own Spirit. And through the power of His Spirit, we are urged to bring all our cares before His throne of grace and to leave them there. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul can write those things because he is confident 
because he once met the risen Christ in all of his celestial glory. Paul is confident in saying these things for he knows that this risen victorious Christ is coming again. He's confident in saying this for he knows that Christ is sovereign over all things, even our tribulations. And so he urges us to pray and to do so in faith. And with that, let me invite you to pray with me this morning for a moment.